All right. Well, you know, gift days are amazing, amazing times. I love gift days because gift days are an opportunity to see God work miraculously amongst us. And I've been through so many gift days in my life and got so many stories of just miracle after miracle that God has done. And I remember one friend's church, they were going for their first building and it was going to cost somewhere in the region of 250,000 pounds. This was back in the day we could buy a building for 250,000 pounds. And uh, the church was about maybe 80 to 100 people, uh, not very large. Uh, most of them were poor students and uh, had a gift day. And on the first gift day, they raised 150,000 pounds, which was just an astonishing miracle. But they still had this 100,000 pound gap and uh, so just they were praising God for what had come in. They were just so thankful. In itself, it was just an amazing miracle. And then uh, the following week after the gift day Sunday, um, one of the students in the church popped into the office. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I, I, I was away this weekend. I, I, I didn't manage to give my gift. Um, so can I just give it to you now? Is that okay? And the guys in the office were like, yeah, that's fine. You just leave it with us. So he put the envelope on the desk. And they opened it once he left, and they pulled out a check for 100,000 pounds from a student. <laughs> and it was just one of those amazing, poof, God moments. You know, and there's, there's something about, you know, whether you give 10 pounds or 100,000 pounds, there's something about when we engage our faith, when God speaks to us and we say, yes, God, when we engage our heart in faith, something happens in the spirit. Because God gets to work, because he's magnetically attracted to faith. You know that. This morning, he is magnetically attracted to faith. He is, his eyes right now are searching across the room. He's looking for men and women of faith. Men and women who say yes to him when he speaks. The issue actually is much less about how much you give. The, the issue is about learning to say yes to Christ. Because when we say yes, anything can happen. And you, you may remember the story of Jesus uh, and the feeding of the 5,000. And what multiplied that little boy's packed lunch that Jesus had in his hands was, was not pragmatics, but it was faith. It was Jesus' belief that the Father knew what they needed and his expectancy that the Father was going to move. That was what multiplied that little boy's lunchbox. And today is one of those kind of lunchbox moments. It's one of those red letter days. It's one of those, those moments where we get to apply our faith and then watch, watch God go to work and do what he does best and release change and transformation. And, uh, you know, in so many ways, what we choose to do with our resources on this planet defines who we are as people. Randy Alcorn wrote uh, probably the best book that I've ever read on money. It's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Um, read it with a health warning because it will slap you around the face every single page that you read. But it's brilliant. Money, Possessions and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. And he said this, he said, what you do with your resources in this life is your autobiography. What you do with your resources in this life is your autobiography. In other words, you and I have an opportunity to write our story in advance by choosing to say yes to Jesus with all that he's blessed us with and given us. So today is a really exciting day. I'm excited. I hope you are. And uh, <clears throat> what we're going to look at today is what I believe is the central reason why we should live a lifestyle of radical generosity. 
And if you were to pin the Apostle Paul down, whose words we're going to read in just a moment, and say, Paul, what is, the, what is the main reason that we should live a radically generous lifestyle towards others? What is the main reason, Paul? Why should we live like that? He would simply give you one word, and his one word would be Jesus. It would be Jesus. If you pinned him down and said, why should I give it the gift day today? He would say, Jesus, that's the reason. And so today we're going to read all about Jesus and learn what I believe Paul would say to us today from this passage. So if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to Colossians in chapter 1. In the dim and distant past, we started a Colossians series and we're coming back to it today. So Colossians 1 and we're going to read from verse 15. The Son, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. Feel free to get happy at any moment. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel, meaning good news, that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amazing. Let's just quickly pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are all our reasons this morning. (laughs) Lord, you are our reason for living, you are our reason for breathing, you are our reason for serving, you are our reason for loving, you are our reason for singing, you are our reason for giving. Lord, you are the reason, Jesus. And we thank you today that right in the midst of us is a king of glory, unlike any other that we've ever come across. Jesus, we thank you today that we are connected to the supreme being in the whole universe, one who is full of love, full of mercy full of justice, full of power, full of purity. And Jesus, we just want to declare this morning that you are our God. You are our Lord and we love you. We love you in this place this morning. And we just say, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us through your word. Give us an appetite to hear your voice speaking to us through scripture. We thank you for these truths that we've just read. Lord, we thank you. We could feed on these every day and we would never get tired because you're awesome in every way. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, really, in this passage that we've just read, Paul is shouting very loudly one truth, and it's this. Jesus is supreme over everything. That's his main point in the passage that we've just read. Jesus is, is bigger, he's better, he's higher, he's, he's purer, he's more loving. Jesus is supreme over everything that you can think of in this life. He is supreme. 
And Paul in this passage mentions a number of different ways in which Jesus has supremacy and the way in which this impacts our lives. And we're going to look at those together in the time that we've got. So number one, Paul says that Jesus is supreme over all other gods. Jesus is supreme over all other gods. Verse 15, he says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. I read one post this week and I, as I was preparing, and the title of the piece was in, uh, I think it was in The Guardian, it said, How to Make Your Own Invisibility Cloak, which kind of piqued my interest. And basically, these scientists have developed this series of, of lenses as you see there, where basically if you line them up in the right way, at the right angles, suddenly you can make something that's visible, invisible. And you create this kind of illusion, this blind spot. And uh, what Paul is saying here is really the opposite of this truth. He's saying that Jesus is the lens through which the invisible is made visible. If you want to know what the invisible God looks like, then the lens that you need to look through is Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God. He's the one that shows us what God the Father is like. S.D. Gordon, one writer, put it this way. He said, Jesus is God spelling himself out in language that men can understand. And you may be here this morning and you may be on a search for God. You may have tried many different avenues to find God. You may not even be sure that God exists. Well, what Paul is saying to you this morning is this, is Jesus is the only lens through which you can see the invisible God. He's the only one because he's supreme over all other gods. He is the living message to us of what God is really like. Another writer, Sidlow Baxter, said this. He said, fundamentally, our Lord's message was himself. Jesus did not come merely to preach a gospel. He himself is that gospel. He did not merely come to give bread. He said, I am the bread. He didn't come merely to shed light. He said, I am the light. He did not merely come to show the door. He said, I am the door. He did not merely come to name a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd. He did not come merely to point the way. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the image of the invisible God. In John chapter 1, John says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is our picture of what God is because he is God. He's God in the flesh. A number of months ago, we had to... Some of our teams out in the streets in Bedford and they came across uh, one guy who's a security guard in town and they got an amazing opportunity to pray with him in the streets. And he was just sharing how he was walking through real trials in his life in that moment. And our, our team just began to pray and prophesy the love of God over this, this security guard. And literally in the middle of the street, he just began to weep as he just became overcome with the love of God right there and then. And they began to prophesy about what God was going to release into his life. And as they finished praying, he's like, how did you know all that stuff? What is happening in this moment? And they said, well, what's happening is that Jesus has just come close to you. God has just come close to you. Would you like to know God? And this is, this is exactly what he said. He said, I have been looking for God my whole life. Yes, please. And they led him to Christ right there and then. See, Jesus is the God that you've always been waiting for. 
He's the one that you've always been waiting for. I think as Simon said, this week we saw uh, three guys give their lives to Christ in Bedford Prison. Ali Green is right there now doing a kind of graduation party with them. One of the inmates who uh, has, has been a Christian a little while himself uh, has been going around with the other inmates praying for them to be healed. One of the other guys in the Alpha course, this guy prayed for him. He got healed, gave his life to Christ. <laughs> Jesus is the God you've always been waiting for. Whether you're in the prison or the palace, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. This week, 14 people have made a response to Christ on the streets in Bedford. 14. Because Jesus is the lens through which you see the God that you were made for. He's the only lens. He's the only way. And of course, one of the implications, there are many implications of this truth, but one of the implications is this. Check that you're worshipping the right God. You may think, I'm a Christian, I'm worshipping the right God. Yes, but even Christians still worship other gods. Paul was, in this context for the Colossians, he was writing into a polytheistic culture. He was writing into a culture where there were many gods, many Greek gods, gods of fertility and gods of weather and gods of war. And many in the church, even Christians, were, were, were kind of carrying into their new Christian life these old thoughts of, great, now we've got Jesus, we can add him alongside our other gods. It's great, we've got Jesus and the God of fertility, and the God of war. Brilliant. Many Christians were uh, teaching that you needed to worship Jesus and angels to really be a godly person. And so Paul is writing into this polytheistic way of thinking, saying, no, actually, guys, Jesus is the only image of the invisible God. It's Jesus plus nothing. And the reality is that we still live in a polytheistic culture. It's just our idols and our mini-gods aren't carved in stone. <laughs> They're not the carved stone gods of fertility and war. They're the material gods of sex, money, and power. We still live in a polytheistic culture. And even as Christians, we can find ourselves worshipping the wrong God at times, thinking that we need Jesus plus something else to truly have joy. Well, the gospel is Jesus alone is enough. You could have Jesus in everything and have no more than if you had Jesus in nothing. Because Jesus is enough. It was John Calvin who said this, that the human heart is an idol factory. And I think business is still very good. Human heart is an idol factory. And it's good for us to come to passages like this and say, am I still worshipping the right gods? I remember as a little 10-year-old going through my first kind of experience of idolatry. And uh, the coolest kid in the Baptist church that I was in, Andrew Barker, he had a two-tone Nike jacket with fleecy lining. And it was the, the most coolest thing that I'd ever seen in my whole life. And Andrew Barker, the coolest kid, was wearing it. And I, I remember week after week after week just idolizing this guy and going home and I would ask my mum and dad in the car, can I have a, a two-tone two grey and black Nike fleece jacket, mum? And they would say, no, I'm sorry, son, it's too expensive, we can't get you one. And I remember for, for weeks, for months, I would, all I would think about was this jacket that Andrew Barker had. I would draw pictures of it, I would kind of look for knockoff versions of it. 
uh, and I was asking for it for my birthday, and then my birthday came, and I thought, I'm going to get this jacket. The moment's come. But I got a stereo instead. I remember being really ticked off and something had happened on the inside. Even now when I see someone wearing a Nike jacket with fleecy lining, something twitches on the inside of me. And there's that, there's that funny thing in our heart that somehow we think, I've, unless I have this, then I will never be happy. You know, for some of you it's different things. Maybe it's having the perfectly flat tummy. Unless I have the perfectly flat tummy, I will never find joy in this life. Maybe it's winning the lottery. I was talking to a guy in the streets last week. I asked him this question. If you could ask God to do one miracle in your life, what would it be? Anything. I'd like to win the lottery. Right there, you've just revealed what your idol really is. You know, maybe it's a new car. Maybe it's a holiday in Spain. Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe it's early retirement. Maybe it's fame. Maybe it's fortune. You know, actually none of those things in themselves are bad. But when we turn good things into God things, you have a worship issue on your hands. God doesn't give you good things that you might turn them into God-like things. He gives you good things that you might serve him with them. Paul is saying Jesus is the only God. He's the image of the invisible God. Worship him. Ask yourself these questions. Where is my treasure? What is my idea of heaven? What would cause me to fall away from my faith? If you answer those questions, you will find out what your mini-gods really are. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there you'll find your heart. And that's why actually gift days are an amazing opportunity for worship. Because we get to look at the material gods of money and possessions and look at them in the light of eternity. Say, Jesus, this is all about you. You're enough. I trust you. And if you struggle to give, you don't have a money issue, you have a worship issue. If you struggle to give, you have a worship issue. Because Jesus is the invisible God. Secondly, Paul says this, Jesus is supreme over creation. He's supreme over creation. Verse 16, Paul says, For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is supreme over creation. I read yesterday this post in, on Facebook by Chris Vallison, and it was, the heading was this, five ridiculous assumptions. Number one, paintings have no artists. Two, cars have no manufacturers. Three, heat has no source. Four, love has no lovers. Five, creation has no creator. I like that. And Paul here is saying, listen, Jesus is the one by whom and through him all things were made. He's the one who created it all. And Paul uses this term, he is the firstborn over all creation. And what that doesn't mean, as some uh, cults teach, is that Jesus was the first one born into creation. That he was a created being himself. That's not what firstborn over all creation means. Firstborn is a biblical term meaning that Jesus is the head and representative of the Father over all creation. So Jesus is the head. He's the representative over all that he has made. This has two massive implications for us. Number one, we need to understand that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If Jesus made all things, that includes you. 
Second implication, if Jesus made all things, that means that you are now a steward of the Creator's resources. Let's look at the first one. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You need to drink in this truth that your life is not just a happy accident. Your life was planned by the Father and put into effect by the Son. Psalm 139 puts it like this. It says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Just nudge someone next to you and say, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 2 puts it like this. It says that you are, you are God's workmanship, which literally means God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece, which means that I can no longer look at my life and curse what God has called blessed. I can no longer curse what God has called blessed. If I'm part of Jesus' creation, if he made all things for his glory, if all things in him and for him and to him, then actually I'm included in that. (laughs) Which means that I too am fearfully and wonderfully made. I cannot curse what God has called blessed. And the issue for so many of us is that the person that that most irritates us or we hate the most is not someone out there, but is ourselves. I remember as a teenager, when I was, uh, I think I was in the, the fifth form, and um, I remember at the time my eczema was, was so bad. I remember sitting in the car with my mum one day, and I, I looked down at my arms. My arms were covered with eczema, like head to toe. Face was blotchy. And I, I remember looking at myself in the, in the wing, wing view mirror of the car, and I, began, I, I remember beginning to hate myself as I looked. And, I, and that thing happened inside where we start to self-reject. We start to just self-reject on the inside. And so many of us, actually, that's the lifestyle that we've got very used to. We've got very used to that lifestyle of actually cursing and hating what God has called blessed. And when we start to curse what God has called blessed, we start to build for ourselves a prison. That's what happens. You build yourself a prison that's actually a prison of deception because you're believing what is not true. Because actually, Jesus says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that you're God's masterpiece. And for some of us, the reason that we're in the wilderness is not because of our circumstances, but because of our declarations. Because of the words that we say. Because of the things that we think in our head. And for some of us, our, our moment of freedom is going to start when we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you're God's masterpiece, mate. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are created by Christ himself. And of course, the second implication is this, is because Jesus is the creator, we have now become stewards of his creative resources. Again, Randy Alcorn says this, Christians are God's delivery people through whom he does his giving to a needy world. We are conduits of God's grace to others. Our eternal investment portfolio should be full of the most strategic kingdom-building projects to which we can disperse God's funds. Abundance isn't God's provision for me to live in luxury. It's his provision to help me to help others live. 
God entrusts me with his money not to build my kingdom on earth, but to build his kingdom in heaven. I love that. What does your kingdom portfolio look like? Because the truth is, if Christ is creator and you are now connected to him, you have become a steward of the creator's resources. Which means whatever you've been given by God, whether talent or time or money, that actually you are a steward now of something that belongs to God, but he's given to you that you might invest for kingdom advance. And you have the opportunity to make choices in this life that actually reap reward in the next. I love what Bill Johnson says. He, he says he likes to view the dollars in his, in his wallet like soldiers that he gets to deploy in the army. He says, at least every dollar in my pocket is like a soldier, and I have the responsibility to deploy those soldiers into the battle. I get to choose where they go. I get to choose where they get invested. I get to choose, you know, the, the, the stats on um, how much uh, of your, your, your um, money, your 10-pound notes, has traces of, of uh, drugs on it is astonishing. You know, many of the, 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 the five-pound notes, the 10-pound notes you have in your wallet, they have traces of drugs in because they've gone through all sorts of kind of drug rings. How great would it be actually to change that situation and actually have our pounds work for the kingdom instead? Say, actually, I'm going to deploy these soldiers in the war because I'm a steward of Christ's resources. I get to decide where they go. And you know, the reality is that you can never outgive God. <laughs> you can never outgive God. Uh, we've seen this so many times in our own life. I remember one time, uh, just after we'd moved here, actually, we went to a, a camp called North Camp, and uh, we felt God speaking to us about giving some money. And uh, Carol actually felt God say, if you will give me 300 pounds, I will give you 30,000. That's what she felt God say to her. And at that moment, giving 300 pounds was when we didn't have 300 pounds. It was one of those, but we don't have 300 pounds. He's like, no, but if you give 300 pounds, I will give you 30,000 pounds. So we're like, okay. So we wrote the check, started praying like Billy O. And uh, what we realized when we got the house that we're now in is that through various different means and ways, we had got given 30,000 pounds to enable us to get into that house. That was astonishing. And the reality is you can never outgive God, but you get to steward what he's given you. You get to deploy them for kingdom advance. And we're going to do that in just a moment. My last two points, which I haven't got time to talk about, three. Jesus is supreme over the church. He's head over the church. You know, the reality is if you love Jesus, you're called to love his people as well. <laughs> you know, there's that mystical union between Christ and the church. It's so mystical, so tight that Jesus is called the head and you are called the body. Do you know what a head without a body is called? A corpse. You're not called to love a corpse. You can't live with the attitude, oh, it's just Jesus and me. Forget about the church. No, 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 no. God's called you to Christ. He's called you to his people. Jesus is head over everything for the church. You know, and again, it's one of the joys of giving actually today is that in giving to the church, I'm giving directly to Jesus. <laughs> there are many great things you can give your money to. One of the reasons I love giving into the church is I'm giving directly to Jesus because he's the head of the church. <laughs> when I give to the body, I'm feeding him. And then lastly, Jesus is supreme over life and death. He's supreme over life and death. Paul says, Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. 
so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Peter Larson said this. He said, despite our efforts to keep him out, God keeps intruding. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. I love that. I love that. Jesus has defeated death. He's, he's nailed every single impossibility to the cross. Now nothing is impossible. In fact, even death is now just the doorway into being with him forever. John Piper said this. He said, death is like my car. It takes me where I want to go. Our friends uh, Rory and Beth Parkinson in Zimbabwe, they're obviously living in the continent where Ebola is kind of breaking out. And uh, she wrote this week on uh, Facebook. She said, we're on the continent of this epidemic, but we are not fearful because we were not given a spirit of fear, but of peace and of sound mind. Jesus has defeated death, which means all your fears have now been cancelled, been cancelled at the cross. Death is now just the doorway. And I'll finish just with this story. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me about a, a kind of a family moment that he had shared in his uh, family with his, uh, his kind of siblings and his aunties and uncles, and it happened around the time of his grandmother's death. And uh, all the family were gathered around uh, their grandmother. They were a, a Christian family, and there were just loads of people packed into this front room with their grandmother. She was about to die very, very near to death, and they were just singing, and they were worshiping at her bedside and just thanking Jesus that she was going to be with him. And then suddenly, in a moment, an angel appeared in the room that every single person in the room saw, at which point the grandmother sat bolt upright from bed, pointed at the angel and said, Oh, there you are! And then she died. And the whole family had this experience of even in death, actually, the victory of Christ being made manifest. Because death is just a doorway into what you really want, which is to be with him forever. Jesus has defeated death. And again, when we give our money in just a moment, we get to participate in the victory of Christ, which he has already won. Amen.